Hey everybody, this is the Machination Log for September 22nd, 2016. It is 1.40 p.m. where I'm at, but don't tell nobody that. Nicole, Ryan. Is it autumn yet? We're here. Uh, you may as well be. Okay, cool. I don't know why. It's hard why. to tell from environmental cues. In I know, we're down here in Florida, so it's hard to, yeah. Yeah, it's still 90 I degrees outside. I saw pumpkins outside. at the store, so that's as good as anything. That's true. Count Chocula's on the shelves now. It's autumn. Fucking official now. Oh, yep. yeah, and pumpkin spice lattes are back at Starbucks. It must be I thought be that season. happened like two months ago. Oh, really? I, I thought there was a mild protest. I haven't been to Starbucks in a while. I just noticed it yesterday. Oh, the pumpkin spice tyranny begins. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I thought the picketers got tired of BLM, BLM rallies. Well, you so know they what? You know what the words? <laughs> you know what the words? Pumpkin, pumpkin spice, spice latte. Yeah. latte yeah. looks Lattes. the best in. It looks the best in Helvetica. Oh, very good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, speaking Nicole, of typefaces, yeah, that's what we call segue. That's good yeah, stuff. We've got. Uh, that's why we don't point them out, Ryan. Oh yes. Well, this is a part. Okay, <clears throat> David, continue. All right, that's enough time. So we did a documentary, finally. This is the movie crew, by the way. I don't think we actually said that. <laughs> that we did introduce ourselves. We did. I was going to do that, and then it got off base, and we... Uh, but that's okay. We're right back with it. We did a documentary, and uh, I picked a documentary that I felt is... Though it is not the best one I've ever seen, by any stretch of the imagination, it is one of the more iconic, because mm -hmm. it so specifically addresses what documentaries are great at, which is to make you see, in the same way that people talk about going to another country and seeing their hometown in like with new eyes, a good documentary takes things about the world that you actually already are peripherally aware of, mm -hmm. Or are maybe only just barely aware of. Or even if you don't even realize you're aware of and them. And educate your dang self about them right. to a level that you had no prior interest in. Mm -hmm. um, so that you can actually appreciate these things. And we did Helvetica. Helvetica is a documentary about the absolutely ubiquitous modern typeface from the 1950s out of the Swiss generation. I forget. It has a great actual name. It's like Type Haas Grotesque or something yeah. is its original name. But... You're all familiar with it because it's absolutely fucking everywhere and, still. And, and if you're not familiar with it, it's because you have Windows and you use the cheap alternative, Arial, mm -hmm. which is the sans serif Windows replacement for Helvetica. Yes. They have blessedly moved away from that in recent time. But no, Arial is a cop-out version of that font. Essentially every sans serif font made <laughs> in the last 50 years looks a hell of a lot like Helvetica. And that is one of the things you get into with this documentary is that we are talking to the experts of the trivial. Mm -hmm. This is another trope of documentaries. I'll, I'll we'll segue directly into the documentary in a minute, but just to set up the kind of thing we're talking about, because we're not, this isn't a Michael Moore thing. We're not talking about a war where you can talk to essentially any human being and they may have an informed opinion, whether it's useful or not, about what's going on. This is something where there are probably 500 people in the world that what's uh, Gary Hustwit. They're, they're typographers. Yeah, they're typographers. They're graphic designers. Just the pool that of people. specialize in type, essentially. That actually understand what the hell they're talking about in the subject. Finite number. Mm -hmm. Like you could put a, a physical Rolodex, yeah. Rolodex together of all these people. And they probably all know each other. Yeah. <laughs> they all work for Linotype, apparently. <laughs> but um, uh, any opening thoughts about Helvetica before we just dive into it? It's funny because I I, uh, I I really like this documentary one because, you know, when you see a, a 
your Helvetica, you're like, how interesting could a documentary about a typeface really be? And I, I think it's very, very interesting, but I'm also a bit of an amateur graphic designer. So I liked kind of the delving into the graphic design that this movie does and by having the experts in two camps because you're either into Helvetica, which means you're, you're kind of a modernist, or you're a postmodernist, which means you reject Helvetica. Mm-hmm. Oh, that was one of my favorite things. Um, I don't have the name of the jur- – oh, yeah, I do. Uh, Eric Speakerman, uh, who is – the um aside from the Vietnam War lady who we'll get to, oh, uh, yes. Eric Speakerman is the lead designer of oh, I forget the the guy's uh, company, but he he invented a typeface which, if you look in Wikipedia, it is called FF Meta, and it is described as a humanist sans serif typeface. Very good, very good. <laughs> Just to give you an idea of how up its own ass this entire community is. Yes. Well, but it, it's 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 specialized, you know. Like this is something that is very niche, if you will. But yet, like you said, it, I think it is eye-opening and in the in the very positive sense of that term, where you can see you you see the world every day, right? And you interact with it in different ways. But then this has you looking at the very same things you see in a different light, right? You're able to see things within them. I think documentaries are very good at this. And in fact, um, I'm, I'm a fan of documentaries, of course. Uh, I'm a fan <laughs> of documentaries as well. So in order to do this, I've come up with a, with a, with a, typo, uh, a typology of five classifications. Five? Five classifications of documentary. You guys uh, want to go through these real quick with me? Why, sure. All right. So I think one of the first uh, little main genres, if you will, of documentaries uh, would be the indictment or the expose. <clears throat> right, where this film is going to show us something, or uh, specifically make a case for, or indict, you know, to uh, some sort of, of aspect of civilization or our society. The Michael Moore flick. The Michael Moore flick. I think Blackfish about the uh, the, the orcas. Um, I don't know. Everyone was scared or about even honeybees. Stuff like to ki- it was what a is honeybee it? documentary because the honeybees were disappearing, and that turned out to be total shit bullshit as well. <laughs> or even what is that like to to Food Inc. That right? killer. What was that one about to catch us? I didn't watch it, but I know people were really into that um, Netflix documentary. The portrait about of a Murderer. Portrait I don't, of I don't, murderer yeah, I don't, I don't yeah. know what it was called. I didn't watch it. Well, but. I, I, let's see if that fits into another one. Oh, okay. 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 Uh, the next one would be the, the exploration documentary, right? Where they're going to explore certain aspects, maybe something you've never seen or, or been taken Like or been nature taken documentaries to. or like that, like David Attenborough. Yeah, um... Cave of Forgotten Dreams by yeah. Werner Herzog, right? or even or even um, Journey to the End of the Earth, where he talks to the people in Antarctica. Yes, yeah, so this can be once again an exploration yeah. of not just like the world itself, of like people, space, of an idea, areas. a typeface, maybe. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah, no, okay. Uh, the next one would be the uh, the narrative, right? The the basic idea of a story uh, a story being told in a documentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Ken Burns, any fucking Ken Burns documentary you've ever seen before. Right there's usually Civil a War, yeah there's a there's a starting National point there's parks, an end point yep okay baseball um and then there's kind of the more uh the more odd type of documentary you might see I I, I had a hard time but I wanted to think it would be like uh, the impressionist documentary in oh, this like case the, like the early sixties Mondo documentaries yeah where you just had like kind of. They, they, well, they, I think they're more present non-sequitur. for what they lack. Like they don't, they don't, they don't have like interviews with experts. Yeah, you know, like they don't really. They might not have a narrative, a narrator, right? They might just be documentaries in a place, in a location, trying to have you get the impression or the feel of what it would like to be in this kind of situation. Um, Are these vignettes? Uh, like, uh, yeah, like a tone poem almost. Like, there's this really great one called Leviathan, and it is about uh, being on a um, a, a 
a ship that that catches and processes fish. Okay. And it's like just an hour and a half, no 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 interviews, no talking to the camera. It is just, you know, like and they they like attach cameras to like the cages and they're like sloshing up and down and then they like put a camera on the like the um the line that processes the fish. So you follow this process of seeing how these fish get pro- uh, of get um you know minced and made up into these little. Du- it's fucking crazy. But once again, like not not for everyone, you know, because they do lack a kind of cohesive structure to the storytelling. Not it sounds as narrative. French. Well, yes, absolutely. But I also want to emphasize that a lot of these, and I'm not done yet, just a second. <laughs> but a lot of these also can like bleed elements into each other, right? So you know, for like a Michael Moore film, right? He might be indicting something, but then also wanting to relay it in the form of a narrative story. He actually is yeah. fairly yeah, so, good at 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 putting together narratives in his documentaries. Yeah. Well, they'd want to like um, you know you, you these elements to keep, to keep people engaged. Yeah, these are both like the I think broad categories, but also kind of contain elements for all or three of these different stories. But my last classification um, is of course uh, the after school special, uh, just because we've all experienced them and we know that like. Really, if you watch like a good documentary, you realize how shit after school specials were. So I think that once again, we can get the, um, and also I really want to put like history channel documentaries, which is that if you have, if it's, so if your documentary about Nazis and aliens. Yeah. But if your documentary is like 80% reenactment, you might fall into the after school special. You know, that's my, <laughs> that's my Jeff Foxworthy documentary joke. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, that, but I think that you don't broad, have a favorite after school special. <laughs> yeah, my favorite was the one about the dangers of LSD. Uh, that was probably my favorite dare one we watched when we were young. That is the classic one where the girl jumps out the window. And uh, that sounds like classic indictment to me. Uh, absolutely, but I think it's also the quality standard that has to go with <laughs> it. You know, like it's it really. I think any anyone that you kind of consider done very poorly could kind of fit into the after school special as well. So. What we're saying is that idealism and quality, it's not actually possible to be conceptually, you can't be a concept without having some degree of quality. I think that, yes, the fundamental foundation of this typography is it's very shaky indeed, David. Welcome to the book club on (laughs) Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. I'm your host, David Paddock. No, we'll we'll have to save that for another day. I did my magna opus on that book. So we were going to go back to it, but it is the ultimate... Um, I don't know I, if I can revisit it. That was a rough period in my life. Uh, well, you, you know, set that one out. You know, you know, it's okay. I've or just phone it in. What you can phone it what in. What I'm saying is, I've written everything I have to say about it's, that. Book. We'll just bring bring the highlighted sections <laughs> yeah, and read those yeah, off. Yeah, yeah know, just like, narrate. Just find 20 minutes you like. And yeah, there just we narrate go. it, and we'll throw that in there. Awesome. I've thought about doing that several times. So just having <laughs> voiced opinions. Yeah, in succession about stuff. It could be the book review club with the introverse, uh, with an introverse <laughs> section for Nicole, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Excellent. No, you just do that. We're going to do that with another. Anyway, um, so Helvetica yes. is the second type, I think, of the types that you exploratory. I think so. It's, I think, yeah, I think it's not good. narrative. And it doesn't seem to indict. Dite. Helvetica. No, At I mean, least, I mean, it does for certain parts. Well, no, it's 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 balanced because there are people in the documentary that yeah. indict Helvetica, and but that's not in, the whole purpose. Yeah, and it's impressionist in the sense that it doesn't like make you feel like you are a typeface designer or something, or like you're you're not yeah, you're not, you're like not watching brought into them the world. Thank God of the doing, graphic design. Yeah, because <laughs> watching people move vectors on a screen could get very boring very quick. Yes. Yeah, and and the way that I mean, it's called Helvetica because that's a much better thing to call it than typeface (laughs) yeah but it is really just about the process of typeface over the last 60 years Mm -hmm. and it's just that such a massive percentage of it was informed by this one font it made sense to call it that 
Uh, but they do talk about other ones. And with that, let's get into this documentary. I don't want to follow it in exact chronological order, at least partially because I uh, didn't record what happens in chronological order. And but, it didn't really move in a narrative well, case, so it, it, it had, makes it tough to follow it's, that way. It's got chunks. Yeah. Like, there are basic chunks to the way it's put together. Um, there are specific sequences that I'll point out, but other than that, there's basically, there's the introduction of what Helvetica is and what modernism is, and then there is the history that that tells us why is this everywhere. And, and how then we there, got it. And then there are the people that clash with it, and then there are the people who are adherents to it that seem like they've taken a new spin on Helvetica and just, like, brought it into a grunge fold. Yes. Um, but that's uh, that's basically everything that happens in this movie. But it opens up with a John Voight lookalike um, <laughs> who is actually doing typecasting. He is taking the raw metal letters from a Helvetica typeset and prints them out manually is onto he one a sheet of, of Is paper. he one of the guys, I believe he said he was what literally one of the last people ever trained to do like metal oh i old wish school printing I, typeface yeah i wish i wish i had the guy's name but no they're they're actually two i think they're two different people okay um because the guy uh they have the and this is this i is didn't one write of those, anyone's name unfortunately yeah I, took I, my I, notes. Mean, I, I was more i was more just geeking out on the graphic design aspects well, to be honest with you and there's another magical way that you can look these people's you can back reference these people's names and this is i used to compile a list of I think it was in an Excel sheet called Stand Back of just people who had either accomplished or had jobs that are like, it seems surreal that any human being's responsible for them. Right. Like, there's theoretically someone with the most confirmed knife kills in the United States military. Okay. Um, someone nice. invented the McRib. Okay, excellent. <laughs> um, one of these, the person that we're talking about, this, um, he's, he's, he invented Verdana. Yeah. <laughs> like he invented that font and he is in this documentary uh also in and Georgia as yes, well. I, he, I'm I, a fan of I am I, I, I like will admit I am a huge fan of Georgia for I like resumes. I think they're both I think they're both perfectly presentable fonts. Um but they have that guy on and uh he he apparently he, he cut his teeth actually carving out real metal forms because yes. he's old enough to be part of the last generation that bothered to do that. Um, and he's part of an entire set of people. He's not. He doesn't seem specifically modernist. I mean, he worked on a serifed font, which is as frilly as any of these people get most of the time. But he, um, they introduce us to a world that we live in, which is just inundated with this perfectly clean Swiss font that takes up a lot. Comparatively speaking, takes up a lot of space on the page. All the letters look almost exactly identical. Um, and as a result, it's perfect. It's yes. perfect in the way that modernism tried to be perfect. It contains, it requires as little the, information the, as humanly possible. Yeah, the idea possible. is that it was a rational typeface that says everything. Yeah. So that it was ubiquitous. You could use it in all situations, whether it's, you know, on a street sign outside or a book or an album cover like it was or your saucy american apparel yeah ads. it was it was considered to be you know a font that could be everything yeah that could say everything without saying anything and it does this by being as minimal as it can be i mean there there are stems on the letters with the exception of that it's 
it, it tries to be exactly like the modern logos that are built around it. I mm-hmm. mean, there was the, the 50s, actually it wasn't specifically the 50s, it was the 60s where it started happening. The office building that became ubiquitous for just being glass panes mm-hmm. um, made way for an entire world of shapes and just solid colors. And if there was a gradient, it wasn't between two colors. It was between the background and the foreground mm-hmm. color. Um, most logos in modern times still have this aesthetic. If you look at almost any major company's logo, you can draw it. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. you don't have to be a graphic artist to do this. Um, I, look, look out look out your window. Yeah. Any, anybody's logo is, does, unless they're a Target, small, yeah, Target, yeah. yeah. Target's logo is a Target. doesn't even have three. doesn't even have the traditional three rings. No, it's it's got two. one ring and a dot. Yeah. <laughs> And Target, written in Helvetica, that's very slightly scrunched. Yes. Um, Arco, or, or American American Airlines. Which American is just Airlines. American Airlines, one word with two, essentially, A's. Yes. Apparently designed by an Italian, of yeah. all people. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, and the innovation, and this was the level of innovation, this is what makes this stuff get so far up its own ass, is to hear these people talk about the innovations in this sector until you look at all this stuff for a really, really long time, and even watching this movie a long while ago, as I did, coming back, and then watching it a third time, the differences are still minute. They are not <laughs> big differences. No, I mean, you're talking about, like, I mean, these guys are analyzing the kerning, that buzzword? Yeah. Kerning <laughs> space between that, that the letters. That word never shows up. I was shocked that that word never came up, actually. Yeah, they talk about spacing. They never they say never kerning. They never say kerning. It's you weird. know, But, I mean, these are people that analyze, basically, I mean, the space between the letters and see what that reads to them. I mean, these yeah. people are using text to express something on such a, you know, it's on such a minute level, like, you know, like the spacing, the structure, how, how thick your bolding is, mm-hmm. you know. Or in the case of Helvetica, liberating yourself from that entire equation because every font is essentially identical. Yeah. It becomes all about the content. And again, that's a very computer era. This is when digital information became a real thing. Right. We wanted as little information to convey as much as possible. And Helvetica enabled that for an entire generation. It's the, it's the default font that the Mac chose when it started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And who also have migrated from it since. <laughs> everybody's, everybody's kind of rebelling against Helvetica, but they're doing it with other fonts that look a hell of a lot like Helvetica. Well, but that is, I think what we are, as you're kind of like introduced into this world, there's a kind of, you know, there's a kind of thesis that goes along with this, and you have to like rein me into being too philosophical here for a minute. But like, that's that's going to have to be all yeah. the conversation here. But like, the idea that like the the image is uh, the idea of it of an image, the image as being uniquely this like 20th century idea, where the signs, of course, are meant to relay information, but also the notion of um, you know modern capitalistic slavery. Uh, the idea of branding yes. is part and parcel of this like. You know, after the after the forties, after the fifties, there becomes this new wave to rebrand yourself in a kind of modern sense, and with know, something this, simple, effective that you can literally stick on anything big or small. Yes, and that you know, this used to be a thing that like companies did. Right now, it's something that like we have to do. Yeah. right? with our, our own personal selves. I and just made a logo for Ryan. Right. I know. I've been week. I've been branding myself uh, in a certain match. So there's, but the idea that it has to be this like image and um, 
you know, words, letters, fonts are images themselves, right? They are something that represents uh, words, sounds, uh, uh, language, uh, communication, right? They, they com- well, that's how they communicate to us is through they, the image. They create order. That was a big thing that they that yes. these typographers in this documentary talked about is that they their art is using letters to create order out of things. Well, and that language orders us yes. as well, right? And like Wittgenstein kind of talks and about this idea of translating that, the language to a visual yes. medium. Right. Wittgenstein talks about language being, you know, being a, a, a mechanism of, of order itself, right? It is something that can be both freeing and yet is controlling because you can only express things that there are words for, right? And even if people see images, right, if we wanted to communicate that to someone, right, we'd have to do so in in word format, right, yes. in, the, in language itself. And when that's presented to us in a visual sense, uh, that becomes something we have to contend with, right? And one of the key things, neat things in the documentary is how they kind of intimate that, like, everyone can be a graphic designer, right? Where, you know, you're designing things, I've asked you to do something more technical than most people would be, but if you ever want to get married or invite people to your birthday party or, you know, have something that you want to present standard communication to people with, right, you inevitably have that blank page, you get what you want to say on it, and then you look at it and you say, is the font, right, are the letters themselves communicating what I'm trying to communicate Right? Is this something that is serious? Is this something that is jovial? Is this something meant to be um, not taken as seriously? And the funny thing is, is that it, you know, the t- the font choice can sometimes convey legitimacy, mm-hmm. right? They can c- convey the idea that what we're trying to communicate to you, the content needs to be taken in a certain way, and that has to be seen as being legitimate, right? If I write a, you know, funeral notice in comics, you know, Comic <laughs> Sans, like, that's not, you know, like, people aren't going to, right, I've, I've almost committed a social faux pas, right? I've gone against the legitimate response that someone should have to something like that this. That is yeah, not a sh- solemn text. Exactly. You should have gone with papyrus. Exactly, yes. That's the Jesus font. Yeah, I'm not writing about Leviticus here, you know, like, but the idea <laughs> being that, you know, but that that idea of legitimacy is what is what carried across from it. And, and just to kind of bring it home, I think that's one of the neat things the documentary has to do is not just tell you, right, Helvetica is important, right? Because if you'd have told to me that like Helvetica was important before this documentary, I might have laughed at you a little bit. Or you might right? not have realized that it's omnipresent. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. But like once again, I wouldn't have taken you seriously. But part of what a documentary can do is relay this this information and make it not only relevant, seem that it's ubiquitous or all around you, but that you know you you inherently have a stake in this being, outcome as well. You're being affected by this. Well, you have you oftentimes yeah. have decisions to make on t- on typeface and font, right? And that ha- comes with implications, right? We don't all sit down with stroking our beards, you know, weighing the pros and cons of the legitimate emotional societal context and values of each font, but we kind of do, don't we, well, right? We, yeah. we, we choose which font we want our resumes to be in, there and that go. says Absolutely. a lot about us. Well, and I mean, to a lesser extent, you, as a result, I, I, I keep wanting to not use this truism, but I'll just say it anyway. The Get medi- it out there. The medium's the message. Yep. When... When you type something, it's a great modern book, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no. The, um, uh, even when you type things into social media, where you theoretically have no control over the text, that's actually not the case. Every time you put words down, and even any time you speak words, you speak them with a certain inflection and accent, whether you have much control over that or not. On Facebook, and in fact, quite a few people do this, if you want to say something a different way, you post a picture, and generally speaking, there's a different font for that. Mm -hmm. There's a meme font. 
No, yes. there's and there's a reason when you put everything's in capitals, people think you're yelling at them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's you know? very different. And it, some of these, some of these have actually uh, manifest. Some of these issues with communication over this form have their own clunky solutions, like colon v for sarcasm, mm-hmm. because there isn't a sarcastic font. Right. We haven't invented that yet, yeah. or at least there's no common language for it. Uh, the way that there is with Helvetica. And Helvetica, the sans-serif fonts of the 60s actually did meaningfully change the way that we try to convey that information as a result mm-hmm. because we can – it lulled us into believing we didn't have to care about this. Um, and a lot of what Helvetica does as a movie is demonstrate how much that really isn't true because there is actually a lot of information conveyed in Helvetica even if you can use it for anything because as Nicole already mentioned – it's about orderliness. Yes. Helvetica, there's a, uh, there was a, <laughs> and again, this is the director, a former director of type development. Yes. <laughs> um, God, talk- I missed my fucking calling, I swear to God. <laughs> it's never too late, Nicole. Yeah. Never too late. No, I've, I've, I've not full, I haven't done full alphabets, but I, I have sat there and played with vectors and reworked some some fonts for logos and stuff before. It, it's just art design. Yeah. It really is just art design. This guy... Um, they know just about it, baby. That's, that's <laughs> fucking hard, man. But, the, um, <laughs> but this guy talks about the fact that, you know, a, a couple of people use the lazier analogy that music is the silence between the notes. That's a WC quote, and it's really kind of a bullshit version of the newer jazz quote. Um, I I, this, I apologize for I this know. tangent, I, but I, I want to get it out there. Yeah. It's not actually about the fucking silence in the song. You need the notes for the song to yeah. exist. Yes. The, I have no contention with the jazz version of that where I'll, I'm interested in what's not on the page. Yeah. Oh, see, and like, naturally a black person, way better at conveying what makes music well, beautiful and I like, than a white actually, person. I like the comic book version of that where it's, it's not what you see in the scenes, but it's how the message conveys between each each little comic cell. That's where the imagination yeah. happens. Yeah, no, this is, and this, you know, I'm not sure who specifically oh, came up I with that notion. I believe it's Scott McCloud in um, Understanding Comics, which is the best comic book ever because it's just a comic <laughs> book about understanding comics on a typographical level, essentially. Is it the documentary of comic it's books? It's an actual book. Yeah, some of the best stuff I've ever read. Um, so it's just a document. Yeah, yeah no. it's some a document. Of, some of the best stuff about Moby Dick is like stuff about Moby Dick, the not Moby Dick itself. The best stuff I've ever read like, has been about Moby Dick yeah, and not like, Moby Dick itself. Like the coolest shit sometimes yeah. is like not necessarily the work that it's based on. Yeah, but that's that was a long way around to say that the white space around the letters does actually matter quite yeah. a bit. Um, and what Helvetica uh, does with this, uh, the linotype director was talking about was how Helvetica doesn't feel like it was shaped into the letters, the letters just seem like they are the result of the space around them. And that means that there's no tension to them. And that gives it an orderliness and it gives it a control. This is the reason why it's so good as an anesthetic governmental font, because even though it doesn't classify as humanist, (laughs) as far as fonts go, it has, it has a very subtle authority. It's not impactful. It doesn't force you to do this. This is just simply the way things are. It's very rational. Yeah, it is. It's tremendously, I already used the word, it's very anesthetic. There's a great scene near the end of the movie where there's a basically an asshole editor um, who at one point put uh, an entire article 
in Bat Dings, the yes. uh, the character font, because he didn't like the article. Yeah, he's but, like, the article was crap anyways. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he had, a, he had a great point. He has a wall. He has a wall full of pages of um, different words in Helvetica, and he's pointing to him. It's like, there's no explosives here. Yeah. This could be the first date or the third date. Like he's <laughs> pointing to these different, and they don't, they don't look they don't like anything. what they are. Yeah. Um, but when it comes to informing someone about what's going on, they're absolutely perfect because Helvetica looks like the truth. Yeah. Well, but once again, it kind of it trust Helvetica. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one of the things that I think at the at its core, though, you know, a lot of good documentaries need to have you looking at the world in a certain way, right? They need to kind of train you into how to view the world. And I think that this documentary, while I would have preferred, but I'm weird, like I would have preferred a little bit more of like a, a technical, of the technical aspect of, you know, how how one designs a type, right? You know, you had experienced this. Yeah. I never designed a type before, you know, like I don't know what goes into these things. I mean, there's some like, you get these like glancing lessons which, like, I think took, you know, people, like, you know, many months or years of expertise to, like, come up to be able to put into, like, pithy sayings, you know? Like, it looks like it um, it wasn't formed, you know, the words didn't weren't, weren't squished into a form, right? It was like they filled the space that was naturally there. Yeah. You know, that's a brilliant idea and a different way of looking at the world. But, like, it, you know, it, in changing your perspective to kind of look, of seeing the world itself, right? Like looking at Helvetica, not looking at the letters, but looking at the white spaces they create, right? Like the the inside of a lowercase a and how it like dips down, how, like a comma that's been you know yeah. turned ninety yeah. degrees. Like look at you know l- focusing and looking at it like that is something that once again will alter your kind of perception, right? Have you maybe looking at the world in different ways and wanting to kind of see what there what is possible to be seen within that and. You know, documentaries, I think, want to provide those guides for people, right? They want to kind of take you through step by step into this. And I mean, for one thing, did this did this movie go into great, as good of detail or depth into type fonts for you guys, or was this more like the "I fucking love science" Facebook page of dilettantism to the extreme? Leading questions, but yes, I agree. Okay, there is good. there is certainly, but I also I also have a sneaking suspicion just based on the people that mm-hmm. they got in this documentary. That there, there was only just enough stuff here to work with to make a documentary out okay. of. Okay, I'm not because they have the guy who made Verdana mm-hmm. explain his thought process for putting words together. And I mean, aside from minutia of explaining like particular instances where he had a problem or attempting to just facsimilate a font there right on the spot, right? He did cover most of what probably goes into it. Well, and and. What was strange, though, is that this movie, you know, it could have been a a way in which you can analyze, right? So if I wanted to get someone who designed a, t- a type uh, a typeface, right, and we start with our story with Helvetica, that's the main theme, then we have people criticizing different aspects of uh, criticizing Helvetica, or, you know, as a as like as a design choice, right, as a philosophy of design, and, you know, taking them through the process of how they had kind of you know, if I had to ask someone, you know, what's your anti-Helvetica, right? Like, what is what is the problem with Helvetica? And show me a typeface that you have invented that solves some sort of specific problem. FF Meta has been described as the anti-Helvetica. So, but right, once again, like, that could have, there, this could have been about the creative process of creating type fonts, which it partially is, right? Like, it partially is that. And it's just, you know, I think that it it has these, and it, it, the if I'm going to be kind of criti- critical at a, t- at a, at a 
kind of like story level, I think this kind of had different ideas about what it was going for. But, you know, as I'm sure you've discovered as well, and as I discover also in, in writing simple 20, you know, minute long podcast episodes, is that it's very hard to get and to summarize and to be effective in communicating detailed information in a consumable way. Well, and you also like, like it's really difficult. See, to you're do. someone who doesn't have any kind of graphic design background. Like, I really like this movie. Well, I like art. Yeah, well, I, and I do want to get to aesthetics, actually, because okay, I good. think aesthetics I mean, Don't get me wrong. Like, I fucking no, like art. No, I, like, I know you do, but I'm saying, like, just as a process, it's not something, you know, that yes, you're as you're familiar with. Correct, where, yes. you know, when I watch it, I, I have, like, you know, kind of a very amateur understanding of graphic design, but I can really get into it because I understand enough about typefacing and setting stuff up that, that I find this documentary very, very interesting. Like Absolutely. I, I liked it the first time I saw it. I thoroughly enjoyed rewatching it. Well, um, and don't get me wrong. Like I liked, I liked both things that this documentary was, I think about a creative process and interpretations of type font about the kind of, you know, philosophical underpinnings of the different uh, phases that uh, trends, if you will, that, yeah. that typeface has gone through since the 60s into the 2000s. Like I was I liked and enjoyed both of those main you know aspects of this film as well. So, oh, I, I mean, I'll say it was certainly scattershot in its design. But I also again, I, I wonder how much if you peel back the layers, how much more there is actually to talk about, because there is certainly there's the historical narrative. There's the genesis of Helvetica. And there's, there's also the counterculture. A great, there's a great feel of just kind of general graphic design. Like it does try to yeah. dump you. Oh, it does. Every, it splashes yeah. in a lot of different ponds. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm just I. I am actually skeptical how deep any of them are. Well, but it's got to get you into that nuts and bolts, right? I mean, it, it takes you through, like, it would either be the process itself or it is like, you know, when you design a font or when I design a font, there are these technical aspects that you can go through and show people. Um, you know, that you have to be in, intensely creative in how you solve the problems of representing that to someone, right? Because if I can go through and show you about how to create perspective in, in in art, right? I can do the dot method where we do the the lines of perspective, and then I can, can do the horizon. I can replicate. Yeah, exactly. I can replicate that process to you, and you know, you actually can find documentaries that kind of like show you the evolution of and the development of art and perspective, and and it's just it's it's a really big problem to solve. And I'm not I don't want to like come down on Helvetica to do this, but at the same time, right? There has to be a certain level of depth that goes with this to make it. To get to bring that immersion in, and it's fucking very difficult to do and accomplish. Uh, just kind of like, you know, from the idea that you're not wanting to be like a lecture, but that's, at the same that's, time, I was literally yes. about yeah. to say, might I posit a sixth classification of yes, documentary, yes. Because, yeah, like which the would be just, yeah, exactly, which would almost be instructional. And fucking nobody likes those things, right? You have to want. Yeah, they're always pretty. You dry. have to want to come in with a purpose, and documentaries. You don't, you want to come in, you don't come in with a purpose, right? Like with Helvetica, nobody's like choosing. I'm like, I want to watch this to learn oh, how to I'm make fun. Oh, I'm looking for this exactly, everywhere. <laughs> yeah, right? You come in with that open mind. And I think that that what it kind of has to kind of appeal to is to give give someone with an open mind the ability to experience something that they weren't coming for with a purpose. And that's what I think the the unique niche of what documentaries can indeed want to accomplish. So what would you have changed? Nothing, uh, nothing really. I mean, the, the problem is, is that by and large, once again, you got to know your audience. And this is something that this is the broad group of people, right? So do you Someone think, with no do you think, I'm just, just a just yeah. general question I want to throw out there then, you know, to you too, David, then do you think that this movie was kind of 
geared a little bit more specifically to people already in the know in graphic design? Like, do you think that that was their audience? Mm, I would hope not because yeah. that would dramatically limit its already limited appeal. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, it certainly, it certainly would grasp that. We didn't watch it with Dylan. I don't know that he's ever seen it before. Okay. It would be that he would have been the litmus test for that. But the, um, the thing about the way that this approaches it, I mean, I will admit, as I believe I admitted earlier, this isn't the best documentary I've ever seen, but I don't, I think that's at least a little column A, little column B of content and design. No, but it does take a topic that normally you probably wouldn't really think about very often, and it puts it in, and it makes it enlightening, no, and it helps you understand the, it. It, it. It's the ideal category. Yeah. Well, but then also it it has its appeal to you to to the universal interest in this topic, right? And that's why I think that it it you have to build that case, right? You just can't start off by saying, "Hey, this is everywhere." Take a look, you know. Here's some scatter shots, right? There has to be a kind of larger sense in, in hooking someone into kind of going through yeah, this. And that's why I think it, it, I think it does that it really could have well. Been totally impressionistic and literally just been like shots of things with Helvetica. Mm -hmm. I that's, mean, that's actually my biggest problem with the film is that it. <laughs> does that too frequently too early. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would actually be okay if they had basically just had a montage at, at the, the end, end of the movie that was 20 minutes of that stuff. And there is probably 20 minutes of it total throughout the movie. Yes. Um, no doubt. But no, it uses the man in the street, you know, examples yeah. uh, as a, almost as a transition device. So every yeah. time there's a break between speakers, even within speakers. And once again, the, I think the technical problem that goes with that is, is that, right, if you're going to demonstrate Helvetica's importance Right, you have to make a conscious, big, strategic decision right at the outset. Right, are we going to make this universalist claim early to get people actually fucking finishing this documentary, or are we going to be able to kind of tease it out to you and then give you the kind of like big crescendo? It's actually fucking everywhere, like we've said. Yeah, well, and that's, that's Hustwood tries to tries to do the initial rope a dope where he essentially has a montage of every person who's going to be interviewed at yes. the very beginning, and then caps the movie at the end with the same technique. Yep. Um, but I almost feel like they needed to, there was the first in-depth interview that they do. They go to a German, a d ultra modernist dude yeah. dresses, dresses like, like it. He um, lives, Imma breathes yeah. Immaculate office. He's like yeah. fixing, he's fixing a portrait on his wall of just vertical stripes. Yeah. Modernist, like, uh, completely modernist apartment. And, and it, I feel like they spent five minutes too long getting to him and the next guy to actually set up what was going on. Mm -hmm. It felt a little unhinged, but I mean, as it goes on, I can absolutely imagine, and I know this happened because we initially, uh, I initially uh, previewed this in college, almost right when it came out. Yeah, right? I and watched, it was on Netflix in like 2008 yeah, or so. Yeah, it was, it was right after it came out, and I know it did not leave a strong impression on most of the rest of the room. Right. Okay. Um, so it's possible that, and I mean, this would make perfect sense, that if you're into it, you're into it. Yeah. Um, and it probably is better for artists than not, but um, I don't want to discourage anyone from uh, watching No, well, and also I wanted to point out, because like Ryan said, Ryan appreciates art, and I do like, I like the sense of aesthetics that it gives you, because you get... Because all of the people interviewed in this, regardless, they all have a different sense of, like, of mm -hmm. aesthetics, but they all are very attuned to how things look. And that's something that I think people don't always see. But, you know, if you appreciate art, but maybe don't actually do art, that's mm -hmm. where stuff like this can be really helpful because you can kind of get like a new 
perception on on like how things should look or what what makes things look better than other things and i i really like just the the feel that each individual interviewed in this mm-hmm. kind of how their interview basically it 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 expresses their sense yes. of aesthetics well, and it, you get like a good you get like a good feel of how that ties into typography. So even if you're not if you you know if you've never really thought about typography before, you know, you can these people are there to basically help give you a sense of aesthetics to help you understand mm-hmm. the visual information that's all around you. And like I I really like that kind of message and I like seeing other people's perspectives on that. Although I don't know if everybody picks up on stuff like that. Well, that it once again it it shows you how to look at the world. And yeah. like one of the coolest things I was like going when I was driving home, I'm like, like how there's just like this inherent values, like these inherent <laughs> values expressed in Helvetica, and the sense that like you had a lot of people who were rebelling against this. You mentioned the um the um the the woman des- typeface designer. The Vietnam War yeah, lady. Yeah, yeah, she was the from the 70s. Yeah, that's, and that's, she... that's one of the, the, if I had to pick one of five moments in this movie, there are a couple of really stark ones. And one of them is that it's the, the idea, Helvetica is the war. Well, you guys yeah. talked about like that it's it's rational, right? It yeah. comes with legitimacy, It like efficiency, right? Like the fact that efficiency a government. Efficiency is a big one. Yeah, the idea that a government could put this typeface and not be efficient, but have like the legitimacy of looking like it is efficient. And, you know, like, but that. Each one, each when someone comes into something like this, especially in artistic choices, right? There are values kind of being expressed within this, and I think that was one of like maybe the neat, like it's not one of the thesis of the films is that this has philosophical, you know, value judgments in the typeface you use. But the people who are responsible for defining or creating these things do bring these values into what they try to accomplish, and that's what is what what becomes unique and enjoyable. Is not so much them describing, and this is maybe also to the point too. Why I was maybe critique something that fell too far on the on the uh, on the one side I described earlier, where it's all technical. Yeah. Right. This time, no. These people are like talking about how they like fall have like fallen in love with this. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of enjoyable too, where they are. You know, I don't like things that are so rational. You know, even though I'm German, you know, I want my <laughs> I want my fonts to be dirty or to be imperfect or to you know like like that's fucking good shit. You know, yeah. like the idea that there's like this is like. It, you know, it's a, it's a slightly, you know, it's got a pinky toe out of whack kind of font. And that's what makes it beautiful, you know? And you're like, fuck yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> like, I'd love to think about typeface that way. Or, you know, to have the kind of intricacy and emotional connection to it that it has. And I mean, a lot of times, you know, not everyone is like that, right? Yeah. But like, it'd be, it, I think the other thing that documentaries need to do well is finding good people to fucking interview. Right. That yeah, can, that's a talk, that's an important part yeah. of documentary is finding the out there experts that I are mean, really going to 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 take you to a level on the topic that you as a layperson could never ever achieve. Yeah, and care or care. Yeah. Well, well no, 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 and care okay. because you have to be. You can't just be the expert. You also have to be charismatic enough yeah, you have to be to worth be the, listening you have to. Be the enthusiast. As a professor, I can definitely ex- <laughs> emphasize the importance of. Of seeming like you give a shit. As a physics student, I <laughs> I can tell you that expertise in no way equates to interesting to the charisma required for a documentary. Okay. 
Well, the best documentaries oh, find people shit. who are both enthusiastic and knowledgeable on a level that a layperson could never get well, to. Well, and speaking of physics, Neil deGrasse Tyson, I mean, you know, like, yeah. I mean... The, he I, wrestled in college. Oh, yes, yes, I've seen the meme, don't worry, yes. But once again, <laughs> like, like people give a shit, like, he is the kind of embodiment of, like, I fucking love science in the sense that there is this kind of, like, the surface-level enthusiasm and interest in everything out there that is, like... I mean, it's once again, I don't want to bag on it, but it's nice that people are at least halfway paying attention to this shit, you know? But, like, it can be useful for a lot of ways to, you know, bring that enthusiasm into this, and that has to kind of come out, right? I mean, you want to you wanna have a love story, right? You want to tell someone how, you why, how and why you love this stuff. And that needs to be conveyed in it to a certain and, extent as well. But you also don't want to lie too much. Well, that's, you, you don't, you don't want to accidentally... Look, you get your facts, I'll get mine. Look, you don't, you don't want to accidentally give the impression... Yeah, that this is a profession full of cool people because those are not <laughs> those are not the people who design the fonts. Other than Speaker, he seems like a cool guy. But the um, the these are bookish graphic designer types, mm -hmm. and it's important that that come across. I mean, you want you want the charming side of shy to come across, mm -hmm. but that's all. You don't you want you want actually well formed sentences and opinions. Otherwise. Mm -hmm. Um, and they do a pretty good job doing that with maybe a couple exceptions. Um, but again, the Rolodex for this, probably quite thin. Mm -hmm. I mean, they interviewed a lot of relatively high up people in like the two companies. That do typefaces. That still do typefaces. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Linotype, and there's actually probably just one. There's Linotype. <laughs> yeah. Everything else is a, a subsidiary. Of well, now, I mean, industries. like I said, any one of us, all we need is Photoshop and we can design a font. Like, yeah, this, yeah. Has become, this has become technology that the masses have access to. Or just use one of the 6,000 yeah. that are already in the program. <laughs> I know, just managing, like, just managing fonts and the amount of fonts out there can be maddening when you're doing a, a graphic design project. No question. And that's why Helvetica is here to meet all of your needs. <laughs> yes. Um, I don't know. Are there any other particular... This movie, as I said before with the, the pond analogy for trying to be historical and narrative, and try it tries to do all of these little things, tie it into society. It also is deliberately diverse in its cast. They get they get every version of every opinion that you can have about the way that this that fonts are used you get the people who use helvetica for everything you get the people who use helvetica for nothing you get the people who use helvetica deliberately to try and like they use it as a form of creative constraint yeah. where they they use it because they don't want to they either don't want to have to think about it or they want to try to put a new spin on it there's a specific guy who does everything in helvetica he talked about doing um, wedding yeah. invitations in Helvetica, just because he like he he likes it. He there's, likes Helvetica. There's the one guy that that just like in the grunge era just rejected font in general and just started drawing like words and using like using words as image. Yeah, well, and that's that's one of the core. That's one of the, the core tropes of the counter movement to it is that Helvetica drew us away from it. It drew us away from an understanding of the words as being part of the art on the page. Mm -hmm. And drawing the letters, your handwriting is the antithesis of that. Yeah. It is remember, it is the full well, on way to remember. Because you're throwing away all the rationality because at that point, it's not that the word letters even have to be legible, but they do need to they can convey something a on them feeling on, on their, their own. own. Well, that, but also, once again, which is the, the total opposite 
of Helvetica. <laughs> well, then, like, once again, the, the inherent values of, like, order and rationality, like, that is somehow, like, presupposed to be good. Like, for some reason, like, you know, like, well, this, is, like this, is what you, this is what you should want in your life. Well, and that's, that goes back to one of the other, one of the other tentpole moments. It's actually the one scene that stuck out to me the very first time I watched it was they have a, uh, they have a graphic designer guy who talks about how corporations... When they discovered Helvetica, it must have been a revelation crawling through the desert yeah. <laughs> trying to get your stupid message across. And then they show up in a marketing office in 65 and someone shows – and there's an amazing example of this where they take a 50s Time magazine and a 60s Time magazine ad for Coca-Cola. And the difference between the two is just it's profound. Night and day. Yeah. And yeah. it's and it has not changed. That is exactly how almost every mega corporation advertises itself now. It used to be Or at least the ones that are still around are like still follow suit with the rational Helvetica methodology. Yeah. Well, mm-hmm. and and if they do something else, it looks like they're deliberately rebelling against this exact message. Yes. Um because they have in the in the original version, it looks like a Christmas card. Every one of them looks like you got your 8-year-old kid to draw you know, you draw mm-hmm. a family, and they're at dinner, and there's like a lot of exclamation points, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a lot so of many curse, like a lot of cursive font all mm-hmm. over there's the place. There's so many goddamn words. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then they and go very to flowery, flowery texts, and then they go to Coke, <laughs> and it's just drink it's, Coke, drink, drink Coke. Coke. Any questions? Yeah. Of course not. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, and we, that's what we've been doing ever since. But that's that's so. That's so 60s. It's so it's so computer era, no nonsense, get the message across. It's not even, it's not an aesthetic thing. It's just the information because that's all we want. We want the numbers. And that's Helvetica. Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? I feel like we covered most of the movie. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, it's, like I said, I, I, I enjoy this documentary. I'm also a bit of a sucker for the modernist period. So, you know, I, I can appreciate Helvetica. Not that I can't appreciate other things, but, you know, I do have a soft spot for the modern I era. like clean lines. Yeah, yeah. Mini Metro's aesthetic is fucking <laughs> on point. Yeah. No, I, like, in terms of documentaries, I have seen, uh, you know, I've seen a lot of them, um, I like some that are, you know, I am a, I'm a detail guy, you know, for, uh, um, lessons of uh, from McNamara. What's that one called? Oh, Fog of War. Yeah, Fog of War is one of my favorite documentaries of all time by Errol Morris. Uh, that one has some really effective techniques in it, and you know, I'm, you know, I, I like that. I like, I love the Ken Burns style as well. You know, I love things. I, I love the ways in which documentaries can be immersive, and you know, this one is while maybe not having a lot of the right artistic answers to be as engrossing or immersive as it could have been. I don't think it lacked in its decision on what to do a documentary about, right? And I don't think we kind of like think think that this is somehow like the key thing to do. Like, oh, like you know, once again, you've got to have good interviews. You've got to make sure you aren't, you know, giving the the goose away too soon on on your uh, on your documentary. But then, you know, what the hell is your documentary actually going to be about? And the subject matter is so important. And the idea of basing it around Helvetica was, I think, the right overall strategic decision. Because if this had been, you know, a life in typeface, you know, like my journey Literary through 60... Type. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> this this has the problem of almost becoming, you know, like a... You know, like you said, maybe like a lecture series about, like, architecture. <laughs> but it didn't develop into that, right? It became and had, I think, more of an import into its subject matter uh, because perhaps it wasn't so 
you know, the idea that this is just going to be this this way, uh, this this documentary about how you make typefaces, or the philosophy behind typefaces, or the the story of type development since the 1950s in in, in the world. Like, no, it, it decided it was going to kind of broad broadly breach all of those things around this unifying idea. And I thought that was very neat and very interesting. And it's uh, once again, I think, entirely worth your time to look at this and to see that there are. Um, that they can form this way of looking at the world, that they should give you a different perspective on the world. And they should, I think, overall uh, teach you about things. Well, and you shouldn't be afraid of documentaries that might not sound like a topic that you're interested in, because a good documentary... Makes its case well. ...should make its case well, and you should feel like, wow, like I didn't... Like I said, like Helvetica, like I didn't, I didn't care about typeface, but you know, if it's a good documentary, you should be, you should be interested and feel like you learned something at mm -hmm. the end. Also, documentaries are designed to acquaint you with something you're unfamiliar with. Mm -hmm. Yes. So you should probably pick it because you don't know what it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's probably more informative. Is that the movie crew tip on documentaries? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I, it seems like the right one. I mean, if you already know, cut that confirmation bias shit out of your exactly. life. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Watch something you have no idea about. Watch some Alex Jones. And that's going to do <laughs> for... Uh, this movie crew review. Oh, there was one. There were there were actually there were two more moments in this. This movie, even though it does drag at points, there there are so many moments in this movie like that I, I really like. There's a like. great cast of characters that they yeah, and they, they, and they just get some good. They get some good stuff. Like they have a James May lookalike who walks yes. around and just points at signs that are in Helvetica. <laughs> he looks he looks so excited while yep. he's doing it. Yep. Um, and then the. Uh, and then maybe the the ultimate expression of the failure of Helvetica, uh, they go to a storefront, um, and there's like a dress. There's a dress in the storefront, and in Helvetica with no capitalization, it says "Make a statement." Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's the most banal looking thing. It's it's so perfect when Helvetica mm -hmm. goes wrong. Yeah, well, the, but it reminds me of all like the the idea that advertising, like like. So there's this big theme in advertising about like rebellion and being yourself by map by consuming mass products, you know, like yeah. this is like, yeah, like that's like one of my favorite like contradictions that kind of come from these things. And, you know, where the idea that you're going to like be yourself, make a statement, be unique by enjoying the, something that's entirely ubiquitous, commonplace and otherwise trite, um, you know, like let's that everyone has access. Yes, to. Yes, everyone has access to that is only valuable because everybody knows what it is. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Status symbols. Oh, good stuff. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, that, that about does it. All right, excellent. So we're all hipsters in Helvetica now, right? Uh, always was, always will be. There you go. All right. Well, I, I feel initiated. I'm more of a meta guy, actually. Oh, okay. I actually really do like that meta font. But anyway, <laughs> uh, Ryan. Yeah. Got oh, next, okay. So, um, are we doing are we doing this horror movie? Oh yeah, thing? we need to discuss this because Halloween is approaching, and I know one person in the movie crew yeah. watches horror movies. Yeah, I do. Yeah. I like. I am a fan of the horror genre, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so I've got. I can pick three of them for you guys, but I don't. I, know, I, mean, I saw they live. Is that a horror film? Uh, it's no, a horror director. Yes, okay. So we're close. All right, so I've seen one horror director. Excellent, okay. Well, I mean, once again, we've got to, you know, we've got to break out, right? We've got to take have, our own advice. So. Yeah, I uh, I mean, I, I will definitely pick a horror movie. I have a very, very small list of them that I find acceptable to watch. Okay, but good. I, I, I'll, uh, I'll take a stab at it. Okay, cool. So, um, all right, well, are we going to do this? I mean, I'm going to have to pick something 
weird, ridiculous. Awesome. Wonderful, so wonderful. I'll okay. have no choice. Well, okay, so in order to initiate this up, right, we're going to go and delve into the well, horror. Well, it is pumpkin spice latte pumpkin season. It is pumpkin spice latte season. As you, as you approach the October, uh, the witching hour of October. Um, okay, so horror movies are not a new thing by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, people going to be scared is one of the original reasons I think people liked it, right? To be, to be shown something fantastical, right? To, to where we could actually see that not only in our imaginations. Uh, but the problem is, is that early horror movies um, are kind of terrible. And we saw Psycho already. Yes, we saw Psycho already. But that doesn't have like the classic things about like, you know, what horror movies or what the even horror genre as an art or literature style can be. But we can perhaps have some fun initially going into this uh, horror and holiday this holiday horror season. So, I will do Mel Brooks's love note to classic horror movies. So my horror movie pick will be a cheat, and I'm gonna, I want us to watch Young Frankenstein. That is not a, a horror movie. God damn it! That's all I wanted to. Yeah, do. And what? it's black and white. God it's, damn it, it Ryan! Is, <laughs> as close as they live to a goddamn horror movie. I, I was going to say, I've seen that before. Okay, I, 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 fucking, we're doing the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Okay, alright, alright. We'll, well, I'll supplement my pick and I'll find something more acceptable to the supermajority in well, the movie I, okay, crew. Okay, okay, the only reason I say this is because, and I, you know, I've got a horror... I've got a horror expert living in my house right now. Okay. And, you know, you claim you like horror. And whoever likes horror, I always ask them this one question. And I, to date, have never gotten a straight answer from it. What's that? Like, so name a good horror movie. And you know what I always hear? I hear, there are horror movies I like. Mm-hmm. And that's it. So nobody actually <laughs> has... A good horror movie. Like, nobody has ever answered that honestly. And even your pick tells mm -hmm. me that there's no good horror movies oh, okay. because no, no, that no, is no, not no, an no, honest no, pick. No. Right, because it. you did not even pick a fucking horror movie. Okay, all right, look. Well, apart from philosophical... So it tells me that that genre... <laughs> Has nothing to offer. Well, let's exa let's examine Nicole's thesis uh, of the horror <laughs> shit genre. Uh, I'll let her supplement my pick with, uh, with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I will come back with my own counter right to her pick as the uh, uh, after the, we review the Texas Chainsaw Massacre together. Sound good? Sounds good. All right, great. Well, um, uh, excellent. Well, I love being vetoed on uh, on the movie crew review. <laughs> Look, I'll do Young Frankenstein. No, I'm I don't just have confused. a problem with it. I just say that that's I call bullshit on that being a horror movie. God, you know, you try to have some fun. Uh, you know, you try to do something unexpected. All right, movie I'm, crew tip well, from I'll the day. You, I'll give you that. It was unexpected. Well, that's the <laughs> but, no, but look, I was going to. Uh, I was all right. No, I, I guess I'm not choosing this now. But look, I was going to try to link these. Ryan, to, do you want to do this or not? I lo I would love to watch this movie with you guys. I really I would, would way rather watch this than virtually any horror movie. Because so it, I'm not going to vote. But okay, well, and I already voted. Like I want to do the original. That's cool. Like, but uh, like, it, I would really, I think, set up the Texas semester. <laughs> well, if I could be young. Okay, okay, fine. Because fine. because it does. I think once again, the same way that it that it sets up a genre, that it sets up a lot of tropes within you know horror movies. The fact that it does have elements of class of of the classical Hollywood. In it, I think it hits a lot of buttons while being at the same time a great movie, a satirical comedy. Mar Mar yeah, and and of course, I don't, I don't want to be fucking, I don't want to get down or anything like that. Uh, but um, uh, but Gene Wilder was one of my favorite actors growing up as a kid, uh, and he just recently recently died and passed away. And growing up, uh, Willy Wonka and this movie uh, was really really important to me, informative in my life. So I don't want to get all sentimental on it either, but like. <laughs> Um, the fact that this is Gene, uh, a Gene Wilder movie, the fact that it is 
a great example of classic Hollywood horror movies. I think I know. Fuck it. We're doing this. <laughs> I no one's voting against you anymore. Excellent. All right. So, so we'll be doing Young Frankenstein okay. when we get back together. Yeah, I believe so. I would so. love to see that movie with you guys. It's a great time. Our horror Rack it pick. Up. All black, right. Black and white movies. Black and white horror <laughs> movies in. All right. Nicole Ryan. It's been a great time. Thank you. Thanks for being part of the Machination Log. Good morning, everyone.